0: Acts chapter 15, to verse 6 to 11. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles m- might hear from my lips that, me- that the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed Okay, thank you for that, Sarah. What a delight. Last night, Steve and myself and a, a few friends, we went out to see a band play in Wagga at the Civic Theatre. And if you want to pop that slide up there, Claire, it was 1927. Do you remember them from the 1980s? Who remembers the band 1927. This is telling me a lot about our uh, congregation here right now, isn't it? All right, they, look, they were an iconic Aussie rock pop band back in the 1980s, and I'm pretty certain Glenn would have had one of their cassette tapes for sure. <laughs> um, anyway, so we thought, bit of fun, bit of nostalgia, we'd go and see this, this band play. And as we arrived, the lady was checking our tickets, and she said, Look, there'll be a a supporting act on first and then there'll be a half an hour intermission and then the band will come on and play. We thought, all right, fair enough, supporting act. All right, that's okay. Anyway, the the, the supporting act gets introduced by the the band manager and this guy sort of talks him up a bit and on comes this man with his acoustic guitar And, and he starts playing and, I mean, he's all right, but he... I'm thinking, this fella's a bit average. And he he starts telling a lot of stories. Um, Some people would say he was oversharing a little bit about some of his um, failed relationships, shall we say. So he was oversharing and kind of playing the guitar in quite an average sort of way. And he swore a bit as well, I must say. And I I sat there thinking, who chose this fella? like, how did this guy get chosen to to be the supporting act for this iconic Aussie rock band? I thought oh, maybe he was mates with the band from when they were at school together, or or obviously he was mates with the manager, or, or you know that's that's maybe how he's chosen. And then I thought maybe he was just doing it for free. Like maybe they had him there because he was cheap. But but there was one thing, I I thought, well, good on him for giving this poor fella a go, but gee, I would never have chosen him. Um, He just did not measure up to the standard, in my opinion. Well, imagine my surprise when he finishes his acoustic set and says... I'll be back on stage in a bit, see you then. And it happens to be Eric Wiseman, or whatever his name is, the lead vocalist, lead guitarist, lead frontman of the band 1927. He was the man. And I was like, oh, oops. (laughs) Um, You know, we have a very human way, don't we, of kind of judging people and deciding who cuts the grade and who doesn't? Who's up to standard and who's not? Who's in our favour and who's not? Who we would choose and who we think, no way. They're just not good enough. Um, I'm pretty thankful that actually I'm not running the show and that actually God sees us a different way. Um, that, That God doesn't base things in the same human way that we base things and make judgments about. But sometimes I think we can think that God does, we can think that God will choose or reject us based on our skills or our service or our goodness or our spirituality. Um, And I wonder, do you ever feel like you just don't quite measure up? Do you ever feel like you're a bit of an outsider? Have you ever experienced rejection from others? Do you even sometimes think that God is mad at you for no good reason? Do you you think that that God chooses to include others but but he doesn't for some reason choose to include you? Do you think maybe you just don't quite have the same favour with God that others seem to have? And I think if that's ever you, that's ever us, and I think it sometimes is, you're going to find uh, the chapters in Acts that we're looking at today, very, very encouraging. And so today we've come to chapters 10, and uh, 10, 11, and 15. And I think, I think they're awesome chapters. And I think you're going to think the same thing too. Here's the key to, to the, whole, uh, the whole thing today. God is not partial to one person over the other. He doesn't have favourites. How good's that? He doesn't have favourites. And the key thing we're going to draw out in today's uh, chapters, the really exciting thing that we're going to discover together today that really is the core of our, our Christian belief is this, is grace. We're going to see grace today at work. Let's jump on into the story. And if you've got your Bibles there... Uh, it, it can be helpful just to see uh, where I'm stepping through. We can't cover everything in these chapters, obviously, uh, but uh, it can help if you've got them open there to follow along. So Acts chapter 10. And we've got uh, a man by the name of Cornelius. He's a Roman soldier and he's in charge of about uh, 80 up to 100 soldiers. And it's, it's clear that he's well respected by both the Romans, because they've, they've made him a leader, they've put him in charge of, of other soldiers, but also th- that he's well respected by the Jews. They're in verse 2, so chapter 10, verse 2, it says, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. There's, yeah, chapter 2, thanks, Claire, if it's there. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So the key thing there um, about him and his household is that although he was a follower of God, he wasn't equal with other followers of God because he wasn't actually a Jew. He was a Gentile, all right? Now, purely being a Gentile made him an outsider. Up until this point in Acts, most of the converts to the the Jesus way, they were basically all Jewish, weren't they? And so as Jewish people, they continued to keep following all the regulations, all the customs associated with being Jewish. So they'd they'd keep the law of Moses, they'd be going to the temple or the synagogue, they'd obey all of the food laws. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Acts, he says this, he says... It wasn't just that the Jews weren't allowed to eat pork. There was a whole range of meat with which they were forbidden. These food laws served to mark out the Jewish people from their non-Jewish neighbours, a rule reinforced by the prohibition of Jews eating with non-Jews, as in sharing table fellowship. The reasoning for this was clear. The people you sit down with and eat are family. But the Jewish family had been called by God to be separate, to bear witness to his special love and grace in the world, and therefore they must not compromise with the world. Now what we see here is God is inviting Cornelius and the rest of his Gentile household into his kingdom, into his plans for the world. God is inviting Cornelius into the family, not just to be a God-fearer kind of on the outside as a sort of a a second-class believer, but a fully included participant in the family of God and the life of the church. And in these chapters, we see God preparing Peter to receive Cornelius by giving him a vision. And he gives Peter this, this rather strange vision of animals in a sheet, descending down and all of these animals that Peter sees in this vision they're unclean animals they're animals that Jewish people shouldn't have been eating they were forbidden to eat them and yet in this vision here is God telling Peter to to go and eat these unclean animals now Peter is a good Jew Peter says no but God's clear and in, in Acts 10 verse 15 He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So remember, Jewish people wouldn't eat with or even go into Gentile homes. That's how strict these rules were. They were to be kept separate and holy from the rest of society. They weren't to be um, polluted. By the Gentile people. And they were to be a a, a stellar example of God's holiness and goodness to everyone. So they were to be set apart, different, separate. Now, keeping that in mind, they weren't to go into Jewish homes, they weren't to, I mean into Gentile homes, they weren't to eat with Gentiles. You're going to notice in this story some rather scandalous and unusual things that Normally, with our Western 21st century mindset, we'll probably skip over because they're just so normal. All right? 10.23, um, an angel speaks to Cornelius and tells him to send some men to Peter. And when these men arrive, Peter invites them in, invites them into the house to be his guests. Sounds normal to us, doesn't it? But scandalous. For a Jew to invite these Gentile people in to be his guests. And then in 1048, the next day, Peter travels back with these men to Cornelius' house where he enters the house and he stays with them for a few days. Again, in our mindset, well, we entered the house. That's just nothing. He stayed with them for a few days. What's the point? Scandalous for this Jew to come and stay in this Gentile House. And so, what's shocking about this is not just that he's mixing with Gentiles, but he's in their home and he is eating with them. He's fellowshipping with them. Why does he do that? Verse 28 He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me. Remember in that vision he had of the unclean animals being lowered? God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And then verse 34, Peter, Peter says, I can see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. This is a key point in the development of the, of the Christian story. Up until that point, there's kind of favorites, the Jews... I can see clearly, Peter says. God shows no favouritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. God gives Peter a revelation that things have now changed. God's doing things differently now because peace with God, purity, purity, Holiness, it's found through Jesus Christ. It's not found through through food laws or through sacrifices or through circumcision. God's doing something special. Something unexpected. Surprises. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon the Gentiles and and they begin speaking in tongues and then they go and get baptised in water. What does this mean? What's happening here? And really what this is saying is these Gentile people who have received the Spirit and are baptised, they're now invited into God's family. They share in the same spirit that the Jews were given and the proof of this is that they're now praising God in tongues obvious. God is at work. No one can deny it. And these Gentile people are no longer outsiders because they now are invited in and belong at the family meal table. Not quite the end of the matter though. Chapter 15, if you had a quick flip over to chapter 15, you'll see that there are some people who are rather zealous They're rather zealous about being right with God. Do you know anyone like that? They're just men. Rather zealous about being right with God or or making sure that that, that we all have the correct theology or we're all obedient to God's rules. And, And so they start telling the Gentiles that actually you're not quite there yet. You've got to start following the Jewish laws. You've got to get circumcised in order to actually be saved. You know, they might have repented. They might have turned to Jesus. They might have received the spirit. They might be, you know, praying in tongues or whatever. That's great. But they say, you're not truly one of us. You're not truly saved unless you also become Jewish. Unless you also get circumcised. And we see in there in chapter 15, there's a big meeting in Jerusalem. We've got all the key players there. And we hear about what's happening, how the Gentiles have been coming to faith in Jesus. And, and so all these fellows get together and they have a, a big, big meeting. They, talk, they look at what the prophets have said and they discuss things. And they say, you know what? You know what? It's, it's not necessary for them to do anything else. It's not necessary for them to get circumcised. And this is what they say. And, and, and this is such an exciting verse. And you should be really glad that they came to this, this decision. They say this, verse 11, No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus. What a great summary statement of our belief. We, them, all of us, saved by grace, all in the same way. You know, grace is the key to the Jewish story. It's the key to the Gentile story. It's the key to our story. Grace is central to our life and our faith. But what is it? What what actually, actually is grace? And even as I sort of have been putting this message together, I'm just so aware that it's so hard with words alone to describe what grace is. And my heart and my prayer for you is that as I speak, it won't just be words, but that the Holy Spirit will reveal grace to you, will confirm grace to you. Because I, I truly believe that grace is something we we experience. You can can kind of know about grace, but if you only know about it, you you probably don't really know grace. It's, It's a word that we talk about a lot as Christians, but it's more than a theological concept. Grace you know, I think grace is about so much more than purely salvation. Often we, we talk about grace in terms of salvation in, in a slightly clinical way. Saved by grace, on we move. Oh, there's so much more. Grace is something, you know, you can take hold of grace. In fact, grace actually takes hold of you would probably be a better thing to say. Grace is something that acts upon us, something that we receive. Grace is is not just a synonym for forgiveness. It's not just another word for salvation or for mercy or for unmerited favor. Grace is all of those things, but it's so much more. I want us to think about grace more along the lines of the parable of the wedding banquet. Do you know that parable? Where there's a wedding feast that the king has prepared for his son, and all the invited guests, all the important people, the ones who should have been at the king's banquet, the ones who who were supposed to come, they didn't come, did they? They Too busy. They didn't care. And so, what did the king do instead in that parable? He went out, he sent his servants out, didn't he? And he invited all the random nobodies from the streets. And he said, come, come in and sit at my table and eat and celebrate at the wedding feast of my son. Now, church, we are those outsiders. We are the nobodies who get invited and get included and we're able to come in and sit and feast and fellowship at the king with his son. Grace is about fellowshipping. And, and we get given these beautiful wedding clothes to wear so that we're, we're appropriately clothed for this celebration. And you know what those clothes are you get given? The robes of righteousness, holiness, purity, beauty. The word in the Bible that is often translated as grace, that word it could be translated also as favour, favour. could also be translated as gift. But it's a gift that kind of, I guess, comes with a certain element of power. If you think about the word gift in the Bible, what's what's it often associated with or referring to? It's often associated with or referring to the Holy Spirit, isn't it? That, that, that divine power or provision from God. It's often in the context of the word gift. And, you know, there's, there's lots of great scriptures we could look at here in relation to, to favour, grace, Holy Spirit gifts. Uh, Acts 2.38 is a good one. I won't read them all now, just throw them out and you can have a, have a read later. Luke 11.13, Ephesians 3.7, 2 Corinthians 12.9 or, or really any of the, the many passages about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want us to understand that there is something very tangible about grace, It's not just a theological concept, it's not just a doctrine, there's something tangible about grace, something that is imparted to us at the moment of salvation, and grace really is something that we can can rely on and stand on in our daily life. So what's grace? I think think when we receive grace, it's God's favour, accompanied by God's power. Grace is both favour and power. What a dynamic duo. I mean, does that sound like something you could get a bit excited about? Receiving God's favour, receiving God's power. And this this favour and power, do you know what it results in? Relationship with God. New life. The Jesus kind of life. Grace is what makes those things happen for us. And you know, of course, it's a free gift, isn't it? Because we were the unholy, the unruly Gentiles. We were the rather ordinary guitarist doing the pre show act, swearing and oversharing and telling stories about failed relationships. We're like that person. We were like the outsiders in in the parable of the wedding banquet. We were the people on the street corners, up to no good, broken, impure people, selfish people, immoral people. And we were found and we were invited in to come and sit and eat with the king. He cleaned us up and he clothed us with righteousness And so Acts 10.15 is a word for us. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. You know, he has made you clean and holy and righteous and beautiful in his sight. Grace takes us from, from guilty and condemned and hopeless and lifeless sinning people to people Who are holy and whole and righteous, grace cleans us up. God makes us clean through his favour and his power. And so if we are in Christ Jesus, we've been made clean and righteous, and we have favour with him. That's good news. And this is not just a well, God has a favorable attitude before me. You know what? There's there's tangible benefit and blessing to this favor. And, and do you know what this tangible blessing and benefit is? It, it comes to us most noticeably in the form of the Holy Spirit. It is the blessing and the benefit of God's presence. Not just with you, but living inside of you, filling you, anointing you, baptising you, bringing you to life, that born-again life. When Peter's preaching to the Gentiles, he's telling them about Jesus. And in verse 44... Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this here in this this little section, but what were the Gentiles doing at the time? Nothing. They really weren't doing anything. They're just listening. They' just sitting there. just sitting, listening. And God just pours out his spirit. I mean, they weren't responding to Peter's altar call. They weren't raising their hand to receive Jesus. They aren't begging God for anything. Listing off their sins before him, they're just sitting there. They're listening to the story of Jesus. And their hearts, their hearts are open, and they receive grace. God's favor, God's power comes freely. It's freely given and it's unexpectedly given. That's grace. So, for us, I, I think when we understand grace, it's going to take the pressure off. It's going to take the pressure off us. It's going to be a real freedom and peace that comes into our life when we take hold of grace. Um, well, actually, we don't have to take hold of it, it just comes, doesn't it? There's, a, there's real freedom and peace when we understand grace. Because uh, we, we stop striving stop worrying about measuring up about earning God's favor or blessing about being good enough about having enough ability to serve him properly about being dedicated enough just able to enjoy God and worship him there's a real vertical aspect to grace In grace, we can just worship and enjoy the favour we have with God. No strings attached. Some people think that they need to get right with God before they can be a Christian, or they think that they need to clean up their life first and then they can become a Christian. It's not true, is it? Think about our three circles. That's kind of the bungee cord mentality. If I do certain things... I'll be able to clean up my broken and sinful life. If I serve God faithfully, he'll accept me and be pleased with me. No. You know, the result of trying to find favour with God apart from grace is is a whole host of impossible standards. And you know those standards, don't you? Because sometimes you put them on yourself or sometimes others put them on you. It's like placing this yoke upon us or a yoke upon other people that's neither light nor easy. It's a yoke of trying to earn acceptance through endless work or perpetual guilt or shame about just not measuring up. And you know what? That's a recipe for failure. It's a recipe for burnout. It's a recipe for falling away from your faith the only way to God is through Jesus and we bring our broken selves to him. We deposit our, our sin with Jesus at the cross and, you know, on the other side of that cross, we are a brand new person, born again, no longer a slave to that sin and, and, and then what happens is we're able to live out our daily life in that same grace that brought us to the cross, that same favour and power that birthed new life in us as sees us called a child of God. And we rely on that favour and that power every single day, every single day, at work, at home, in your relationships, as we steward our finances, as we serve one another, as we parent our kids, as we study, as we learn, as we grow, as we witness, as we lead. We need and we can rely on God's favour and power, God's grace. I, I know I cannot do what I do on my own. All too often I'm reminded of how little I actually have to be able to do what I need to do. But I rely on his favour. I rely on his power, his provision for me, his blessing that has been deposited in my life, his presence in my, my life. You know, when we do that, we can truly rely on Um, we can truly enjoy our life with God, which, of course, that's what we're made for. You might be familiar with the Westminster Catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, isn't it? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, and you can only do that through grace. So that's the vertical aspect to grace. Grace. Horizontal aspect too. God is not partial to one person over another. We're all saved by grace. He makes no distinction amongst us. No particular favourites. Just grace. Do you ever like buying those boxes of chocolates that are called favourites? They're full of all the chocolates and they're just declared favourites. The fact that they're in the box Compare that to a, a, an ordinary box of chocolates that people kind of pick and choose and you know leave the coffee nougat ones because no one likes them, do they? Even the coffee drinkers don't want to eat the coffee nougat chocolates. Yuck. But a box of favourites, they're all favourites. There's no rejection or no exception, they're just all favourites. They've been declared by Cadbury or whoever as favourites. And, and, and so we're like that, no particular favourites here. All of you, you're in God's box. You're favourites. In Christ, we're all included. We're all accepted. We're all all equally loved, aren't we? We're all equally forgiven, aren't we? We're all equally called to serve. We're all equally called to give. Grace really is the great equaliser. And it's important to know this because otherwise, you know what, we end up with two tiers of believers. Have you ever noticed that sometimes happens? Two tiers of believers. Imagine if in Acts, Acts, there continued to be this distinction between Gentile believers and Jewish believers, and Gentile ones, Gentiles and Jewish converts. Imagine if there continued to be this distinction between them. I mean, the unity of the church would be in tatters, wouldn't it? There, there, there could be no joy-filled shared life together as believers on mission if some believers are considered to be more valued by God than others. If some believers are considered to have the mark of a true disciple but, but others are sort of ah, just less accepted because they've got a different heritage. There's a, there's a different culture in those believers. You know what? Those believers haven't proven their commitment To God by doing certain works. And and in the case of of, uh, Acts, it's it's getting circumcised. But with grace, we see things differently. We see each other differently, don't we? We're more loving and accepting and honouring of others and we're less judgmental of them and that's a good thing, don't you think? Do you think maybe churches need to get a hold of this grace thing? Less judgmental of them, less worried about whether or not they measure up because, you know what, we realise that we're only where we are because of God's favour and power, not our own skills, nothing special about what I do or about what Steve does or, or anything where we can't do what we do without God, uh, God's favour and power at work in our life. And, you know, we realise that, that this other Christian who, you know, maybe they're pretty unspectacular, maybe they're pretty ordinary, but we realize that. They're standing on the same foundation of grace that we are. It's the same floor we're standing on, isn't it? So for the church today, I really want us to take hold of this this horizontal aspect of grace because I think much of the division and the hurt and the ineffectiveness and, and quite frankly the disinterest that believers show in being an active part of the church uh, I think it, it often stems from this two-tiered system of believers where some people carry the mark of a true disciple because of their heritage and, and the things they're capable of, but others are less than equal because they, they kind of don't meet the same standard. And so in our relationships with one another, let's, let's be, let's continue to be, because I think this is something we do well, but let's continue to be people of grace who freely honour and embrace each other as people who are called together to that family meal table. No division, no exclusion, just freely given favour and power that we delight in with each other, as we delight in our Heavenly Father together and as we serve Him in unity together. So let us just remember the good news about Jesus. It's not just good news for one group of people or one type of person. It's good news for us all, all people. And he invites, he calls, he draws all people, Jews, Gentiles, everyone. God shows no favoritism, no partiality because there's peace with God through Jesus Christ to anyone who would turn to him, to anyone who would repent and be saved. And we receive his gift of favour and power in order to live a radically new, different life now and forever into eternity. Let's remember the vertical aspects of grace and the horizontal aspects of grace. And let's celebrate that we're all his favourites. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your gift of grace. We thank you that it is freely and unexpectedly given to us. Lord, it doesn't often make sense to us and so often we, uh, we move away from grace. But Lord, we're so grateful that you have made a way for us to know your favour and to know your blessing. And so, Lord, here today would we just experience a a real freshness of your grace in our life? Would we experience and and know the delight of of sitting and fellowshipping with our Heavenly Father? Would we know that that we have favour with you? that you bring your, your very life-giving presence into our life, your power into our life. Would we trust in that power? Would we depend upon that power? And we are just so grateful for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our life. Jesus, come and deposit that gift into hearts here today that are yet to receive it, that are yet to experience the real fullness of your presence in their life. Would there be a fullness of grace that comes upon people now in Jesus' name? And if that's you, if you need to, if you know that, that maybe you haven't experienced the, the real fullness of, of his grace in your life, that maybe you've been trying and working and striving and, and living under a yoke of slavery, a yoke of condemnation, if that's you, would you just open yourself up to Jesus? There's nothing you really need to do, but just be open. I thank you, Jesus, that in those open hearts you would come and deposit your gift of grace, that your favour would be alive and at work, that your blessing would be known, that your blessing would be a firm foundation upon which we can stand. Lord, for those people in our life that maybe we've uh, not been treating with grace, equality and, and love. Lord, would we look at them with eyes of grace. Help us to see them differently, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.